You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeehouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back, everybody. This is so exciting because we had so much feedback happening since our last episode. And I'm so excited to present to you our brave guest this week, who, despite this not being her jam at all, decided to come onto the show and represent the other side. Before we dive in, I would like to read a note from one of the fans. So this is part of a longer message, of course, so bear with me. Quote, I really enjoyed the podcast with Jill working on food moderation, and it totally helped my Shabbos, which is usually overboard with eating and a real challenge for me. One of my favorite episodes was also with Sephora Zlomanowitz. She was awesome and so brave to be highlighted. I'm definitely davening for her and trying to keep her in mind. End quote. Thank you for sending me messages. I really enjoy reading them. I really enjoy passing the beautiful messages I'm getting to our guests, even if they were on this podcast a half a year ago, a year ago, and especially for the more vulnerable topics. Quick reminder that we have just less than two weeks till the new music video release. I am very excited for that. It's a big honor. So much work went into it. And as always, thank you so much for sending referrals. Keep sending them. I'm here to help you with your podcasting needs. One more note. Thank you so much to Fermi Levy for helping make this happen all the way from the introduction to Michali from last week to the introduction to our guest this week, really coordinating and making this happen. So shout out to her and stick around until the end to hear what next week's episode is going to be about and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Francisca show. Today with us, we have Dina Buchholz, who actually lives right near me, but I've never met her before. So it's nice to meet you. So we had this episode last week. We had a lot of people upset. Some people were more upset than others, but we are here because this was supposed to be a debate. So even though it's not a live debate, we have the pro mask voice being represented today. And it's so important to me that we are able to hold space for all opinions and sides and being able to listen. And that's the point of this podcast. If you like this podcast, it's probably because we're talking about things that there's no other space or platform for these topics to be discussed. And this is no different. So I just want to thank Dina from the bottom of my heart for coming on to this show. We are going to dive right in. I know Dina has the sources that Michali brought up last week. So we are not just bringing random resources. We are actually going to address just an introduction. Dina is also a cookbook author. So really excited. Shout out to your new cookbook. And without any further ado, the platform is yours. Let's dive right in. 
Okay, so let me start by saying that I really don't want to make anyone upset or angry. I'm just going to put out information. I'm going to put out arguments from the other side, and, and you can evaluate and decide. Make Just make your own decision. You don't have to take it personally because it's not personal. I don't know Michali, but I, I listen to her podcast. She sounds very passionate and she sounds very sincere. So if she's listening, I want her to know that this is not personal. I'm just going to address the arguments. But don't take my word for it. And don't take her word for it. Neither of us are medical experts. So you could fact check everything we say. And it's so easy to do because everything's on the internet. I also want to say something I learned from someone that I respect. So this is not my own thing that I made up, but it's something that really has been very helpful to me in, in figuring things out in this very polarized and politicized environment. And that is to be a judge, not an advocate. Meaning an advocate is someone who seeks information that will strengthen his case. He starts with a a belief system and then he looks for ideas and data to shore up his belief system. On the other hand, the judge listens to both sides dispassionately and then makes a decision. So the way I do that is on any given issue, I read widely. I listen widely. I try to read and listen to the best and the most articulate and the most intelligent voices on each side. And then I decide. So my advice is don't start with the conclusion and work your way backwards. Don't pay attention to only one side. Be prepared to accept the possibility that you might be wrong even about your most cherished beliefs, because that is the only way to be intellectually honest. And I say don't pay attention to only one side, especially because there's a study that shows that people who interact and listen to others who agree with them, such as the media that they read, view, and listen to, grow more extreme in their views over time. For example, if you go to a shear with like-minded people, you come away more inspired and more, which in this case is a good thing. I'm just using this as an example to show what I mean by you go stronger in your beliefs. So for a healthy balance, it's really good to hear both sides. And keep in mind that no one side has a monopoly on the truth. Okay. And we are here, just a reminder, to talk about pros and cons, masking children, in schools, in public spaces. Yes. And so I'll dive right in. And I have a very simple and very logical way of evaluating the deluge of information and misinformation on COVID-related issues. My baseline when I make a health or medical decision regarding COVID is to look at the related fields of epidemiology, virology, immunology, infectious disease, and vaccine science. It's five related fields. And I ask, what is the general consensus among the doctors, scientists, and researchers in these fields? And I go along with the general consensus. You know why? Because who outside of this consensus knows better than I do that I should follow the recommendations? What social media poster, and even a doctor who's not an expert in these fields, knows better? And Is it possible that there's a dissenting physician who is an expert in the field, an immunologist or an infectious disease specialist who dissents and who may even be right on something at some point? Of course it's possible, but I have no way of knowing or judging that. So I don't have any other choice but to follow the general consensus. And the fact of the matter is that this is supported by halacha. In halacha, when there's disagreement, we follow the majority of post-skin. And in medicine, when there's disagreement, we follow the majority of doctors. For example, if the majority of doctors say a patient should eat on Yom Kippur or violate Shabbos because they need to do that in order to survive, we go with the majority. So, Kalva Homer, 
even more so if the consensus is to wear masks, which don't violate anything. And Rav Usher Weiss, who's a Rav in Art Israel, makes this very point in a YouTube lecture. And by the way, he has some really fantastic YouTube lectures, one on masking and one on COVID. And I highly recommend listening to both of them in full. You can just go to YouTube and find them. And he says that the mortality rate of COVID is high and we need to cooperate with the authorities and to be very cautious. And when did he post those videos? Was that in March or May of 2021? Um, that is a fair question. And I don't have the date offhand. The first video was posted earlier on, but I, I don't know. It could have been very early on in the pandemic. The, the one on the vaccine was posted when the vaccine was, short, I, I believe, shortly before the rollout, but don't quote me on it. I might be wrong. In his lecture on masking, which I, I believe it does still apply when there's still a consensus about masking among the um, medical authorities and their local mandates. He asks what level of risk defines sakana, and the answer is the level that is pikuach nefesh that overrides an iser de oraisa. So the discussion in the Gemara is, are you allowed to kill a spider on Chavez? Spiders are not dangerous, but what if a spider falls in your soup? If you swallow it, you could die. I guess that was the thought back then. Even if the chance is one in 1,000, we, we don't kill spiders on Chavez because we don't know that, that will happen. But a Yoledes, the woman who just gave birth, is a chola sheish basakana. She's considered an, a person who is ill and in danger of her life. And for her, we can violate the Shabbos. But even back then, it might have been one in 1,000. So what's the difference? With a spider, you don't know if you'll accidentally swallow one. But we do know that childbirth is a natural occurrence that will cause one woman in a 1,000 to die. A 1,000 births a day equals one death a day. And it's our duty to do everything we can to prevent the death of that one person. So we are Mechala Shabbos for 999 women to prevent the death of the one. So according to Rav Usher, the actual statistics are not relevant. For example, and I'm making up the numbers here. These are his numbers, but I'm applying it differently. Let's say that only five out of 10,000 children will die from the measles. But those five deaths are preventable. So we vaccinate everyone to prevent those five deaths. Because as long as it's a natural phenomenon and people will die and we can prevent it, then we have to do what we can. And to that end, the Agudas Yisrael put out um, a statement about a, a year ago from circus time-ish, I think. And I'm just going to read the statement. We call on all Russia Ada to do everything in their power to ensure compliance with good health practices, including social distancing, masking, and abstention from large gatherings. People who have COVID-19 symptoms should stay home. The elderly and those with medical conditions must exercise special care. Okay, this was during, I think, during the lockdown, but what they said next is very relevant. We are obligated, al pi to do everything possible to avoid even one occurrence of serious illness. So going back to the general consensus among the experts of the field today, regardless of what Dr. Fauci said, regardless of whether he reversed himself, regardless of whether you hate him or love him or don't have any feelings about him, is that masks reduce transmission and thus save lives. So that's my baseline. That's my starting point. Now, I'm going to address as many of the claims about masks as I can. Okay, but before you go there, could I ask one more question? Please. I, so I, I follow economy, and I know economy is not about feelings and what's more dangerous than others, but we allow 16-year-olds to go and drive 
knowing <laughs> that they're probably going to get into more accidents. And we still allow for that to happen. And we allow everyone to get into cars, not just 16 year olds, but older people, knowing that there are going to be a certain amount of deaths. And as a society, we all decided we're going to take that risk. And based on what you're saying, Rav Asher Weiss has said, even for one person, based on that logic, we would never get into a car. Okay, so he actually addresses that question from a different angle. He doesn't use this, you know, specific 16-year-old drivers, but, and I don't remember his specific example, but we do accept a certain amount of risk because you have to live. Like, he talks about also, like, in a society, to run a society, you need to have certain people who are going to have jobs that are risky, like firefighters. And are, are we going to close down? Like he said, if, if the Israeli government, he's in Israel, so he said, if the Israeli government ends up being run by the Haredis, are they going to shut down the fire, the, the firefighters and the police? No, you need that as a society to survive. He's talking about, specifically about a natural phenomenon that occurs, that we know that when this happens, people die. If there's a measles outbreak, a certain number of people die. Or when women give birth, a certain number of people die. And there's something we can do to prevent that. So, for example, you can prevent deaths with vaccines. So you, so you take the vaccine because it's preventable. But regular living where you're going out and you're, there's a small amount of risk that somebody will get killed in a car accident is not something that's preventable. Okay. To your question? Uh, a little bit. You could also say that's why we wear seatbelts. It's the equivalent of the vaccine. Is it going to save you? We do it right. We do it. We can. We do what we can. We just follow all the safety precautions we're supposed to drive, but according to the speed limit, which is not easy to do, and I'm not so perfect with that either, but we do what we can. So I want to just as many of the claims as I can. I, I didn't have time to gather all the data, but I, again, I want to emphasize that you can do this. If I missed anything, you can fact check any that you heard in the previous podcast or anything that I say, you can fact check it on Google or whatever your search en en engine is that you use. It's, it's good to fact check everything. It's, it's, there's a rule in journalism. If your mother says she loves you, you should check it out. So you don't have to do that because you're not a journalist. But with so many alternative facts out there, it's really not a bad idea to adopt a little bit of the journalistic ethos because it is hard to navigate the craziness out there. I don't have so many resources. I have, obviously, I relied not my own brain because I don't know any, I'm not a medical expert, but I have some. And the reason I don't have a ton is because I have not made it my mission to convince people to wear masks for two reasons. One, I think it's an exercise in futility. A lot of people have made up their minds, but the real reason is I, I want to keep my friends. <laughs> and so I don't know, by the time I'm done, I might not have any. <laughs> anyway. Thank you for being anyway. brave and coming on here. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Anyway, so going back to this, in addressing studies and how people use them, I'm going to give you a little introduction because it's there's a certain mode of argumentation people use that I want you to be aware of. And it will help you also, I think, to navigate the maze of information and misinformation that you have to on a daily basis. In addressing studies and how people use them, when they use them to bolster their views when they feel they must bolster their views no matter what. It's a little bit like the way Christians use biblical proof texts. The most common problems with Christians using biblical proof texts is mistranslation and quoting out of context. And sometimes they just make stuff up. So, for example, a mistranslation might be like the Pesach and Tilm that says, Nashkubar, which means they say, it means kiss the sun. And then they say, of course, who else could be talking about but Jesus? But bar is sung in Aramaic, not Hebrew. And so they're translating it wrong. It means arm yourself with purity. 
which is completely different. So it's a mistranslation. Or they might say, to prove that all humans are sinners, they might say that there's a passage in Tehillim that says, no one does good, but they leave out the context. Amar Naval Belibo. The fool says in his heart, say Tov, that no one does good. So that changes everything. The context is the fool says in his, in his heart, and if you leave that out, it changes everything. An example of where they just make stuff up is um, Christian scripture says that Jesus was born in Nazareth to fulfill the prophecy in our scripture that says he shall be called a Nazarene. Guess what? There ain't no such prophecy. They just plain made it up. I'm going to show you how people misconstrue studies or leave out context to mislead you or plain make things up. And again, please know that I am not, God forbid, accusing uh, Michali or anyone else doing these things. I have no doubt that she and others accept these things in good faith. But it's a good thing to be aware of uh, what's going on out there. Okay, so the two big questions on this topic. Do masks work? And if they work, what types of masks work best? I'm going to address these by citing the claim, and then I'm going to debunk it or explain it or whatever else I need to do. The claim, masks do not work. Studies show that masks are ineffective, and there are no studies that prove efficacy. All right, if you Google studies that show masks are effective, just Google those words, studies that show masks are effective, you will see for yourself, you're going to get a lot of results. But first, some common sense observations. We have known that masks worked for over 100 years. During the Spanish flu of 1918, it was known that masks worked and mask mandates were passed with predictably the same type of reaction to masks today. Flu sash change. They were pro-maskers and they were anti-maskers and they made lots of arguments that would sound very similar. But back then, most people wore masks made out of gauze or cheesecloth, which were ineffective. So it did not do much to mitigate transmission. Another thing to consider is that surgeons have been wearing masks for decades. And I have not heard anyone argue that doctors should dispense with surgical masks because they don't work. I've never heard anyone say that. Look, it's just common sense. If transmission occurs via droplets that you expel from your mouth or nose, then it stands to reason that a barrier will prevent droplets from passing through. And if that prevents the droplets from passing through, then transmission will be reduced. I tried an experiment at home with my kids, and you can do this yourself. We took three different kinds of masks, surgical, a cloth mask with a double layer, and gator masks. And we held up each mask to a bottle of Windex, and we sprayed the mask. The spray went right through the gator mask. The gator masks are the very thin masks people wear around their neck and they can pull them up over their face. And then when they aren't using them, they can just lower it and it just looks like something they're wearing around their necks. Very thin. They're very thin. The spray went right through the gator mask. It's almost as if nothing were there. Like you could just see the spray go right through. With the cloth mask, which was two layers, the spray turned into a tiny puff right outside the mask. And it didn't travel like the first one just like shot right through. With the surgical mask, there was no visible spray to the naked eye. I don't know what we ever would have seen if like we shone a laser beam on it or something. But a wet patch appeared on the mask. Now, obviously, you're not wearing your mask like that. With regular talking and even coughing, you're not like spraying Windex type of, of you know velocity of droplets through. So you're not using nearly the same force. Although maybe sneezing might be, it's possible. But the point is that masks do work and that some do work better than others. Okay, now for some of the studies. Okay, so I found a list of studies on a website that lists 49 of them, and I have just a sample I'm going to share with you. And these studies review dozens of other studies, so there's a lot out there. JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, February 2021, peer-reviewed. 
showed that masks reduced transmission by 50 to 70%. Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, Sciences of the U.S., peer-reviewed January 2021, showed that masks reduced spread. The New England Journal of Medicine, peer-reviewed, did a study where they observed participants saying, stay healthy with no mask. And through a laser beam, they saw about 300 droplets. But when they wore a mask and they said, stay healthy, there were almost no droplets. So The Lancet, peer-reviewed, June 2020. This study showed that effectiveness varied among different types of masks, but that overall masking, even with the variety of masks, resulted in a large reduction in spread. I have some reporting from The New Yorker, quote, an analysis of mask mandates in German towns found that they may have reduced COVID-19 infections by about 45%. Another study examined U.S. states with mask mandates and found that the daily growth of infections was 2% lower in states where a mask mandate had been in place for a few weeks. And the reason I emphasize the word growth is because growth rate is not the same as case numbers. So 2% might sound low, but a 2% growth rate decrease, not case numbers decrease, translates into large numbers exponentially. One study projected that universal masking, which is 95% of the population, that's how they, they, they uh, define universal masking as 95%. Between September 2020 and February 2021 would have saved 100,000 lives. This is a mathematical model. Okay, so a lot of the claims that um, I heard on masking have to do with the type of mask. While it's true that N95 masks are the most effective, a huge international study out of Bangladesh, which was recent, and I'm just kicking myself that I didn't write the date down here, with nearly 350,000 subjects showed that surgical masks were 95% effective, while cloth masks were 30%, 37% effective. And I've seen other data that show that surgical masks and cloth masks were 67% effective at blocking particles. Another study shows that masks not only reduce transmission, but also prevent severe infection because you breathe in, when people are expelling fewer particles, you're breathing in fewer particles. And so you're taking in a smaller amount of viral load. And when you take in that smaller amount of virus, you are going to have a milder infection which will confer some measure of natural immunity on you when you recover, but it will also prevent hopefully severe hospitalization and death. Okay, where was I? The surgical masks are second best to the N95 and quite effective at reducing transmission. And while cloth masks masks are the least effective, they're still better than nothing. So if you're going to go with a cloth mask, choose one that has two or three layers. The claim often made about masks is that viruses are too tiny to be blocked by them. The holes in the weave of a mask are many times larger than a third of a micron, which is the size of a virus. That is really just not understanding how this works. When you breathe, talk, cough, sing, sneeze, yell, you do not expel naked viruses. You expel droplets of saliva that encase the virus particles. Even tiny droplets are larger than a third of a micron. So can you explain that in English? (laughs) (laughs) In plain English. Okay. So yeah, when you do anything with your mouth that causes stuff to come out, what's coming out is not just free-floating viruses. 
that's why I use the word naked viruses. It's not just a naked floating, a naked virus floating around by itself. It's going to be attached to droplets of saliva that come out of your mouth. So those droplets are, are much larger than that tiny virus, which measures a third of a micron, which is of an extraordinarily small measurement. And it's true. The, we, the holes in the weave of a mask are much bigger than that. But we're not worried about that because it's the droplets that carry the virus. And that's what we're trying to stop from passing through your mask. And that's first. But second, the wet droplets are like a magnet. They're drawn to the fibers on the mask. And the third thing is that if your mask is layered, which is the case with surgical masks and some cloth masks, if a droplet gets through one layer, it might be stopped by the next layer. But you have to realize that masks are not 100% effective and some droplets will still get through. But even reducing transmission, we're not trying to eliminate transmission with masks. We're just trying to reduce it. Even that prevents illness and saves lives. And I have a personal example. In September 2020, my son contracted COVID. He isolated in his room and wore his mask when he had to leave his room if he needed to use the bathroom. And every time he used the bathroom, like I disinfected it before anyone else used it, which was crazy. And I probably didn't have to do that because now we know that's not how the virus is transmitted. It's transmitted primarily via the air, but we didn't know that back then. And we were wiping everything down all the time. Anyway, there were five other members of our household and we were all in quarantine because we were all exposed to him. None of us got sick. And at the end of the quarantine, we all had to get tested and none of us tested positive. We all tested negative. Now, of course, that's anecdotal. It's not scientific, but it does confirm what we already know that masks reduce transmission. Now, if that doesn't convince you, I have some fascinating data on the flu and masks. About 100 to 200 children die every year from the flu. But during the 2020 to 2021 flu season, only one child died. The last flu season, before this one, saw 34,000 deaths. And the count for this season is expected to be some several hundreds. According to the Harvard School of Public Health, the Previous season was 130,000 cases compared to the past season, which was 1,316. So the masks didn't crush COVID, but they decimated the flu. 99% plus fewer deaths for children and at least 90% fewer deaths for adults. And about 99% fewer cases, it's, it's staggeringly mind-blowing. So if you needed evidence that masks work, there it is. Okay. Just two questions. And I don't know if you want to address them, but one is, can it be that a lot of the kids were doing zoom school, which is why they didn't get exposed because they were home and they didn't actually go anywhere versus being in school with masks. And number two, if masks really work, which is what you're saying, why based on Rev Usher Wise's thing, we should do everything we can, then we should never go to school because we have the flu or we should have had the masks the previous years, but children dying from the flu wasn't, and I'm using the energy from last week's episode. It wasn't a political thing. The flu wasn't a political thing, whereas COVID was a political thing. It turned into a political thing. Good question. I'm going to try. I don't know if I can answer all of it, but I'm going to try. Um, To your first question, I think that for sure the lockdown, not I think I, I, I did see this in one of the articles I read that 
it wasn't just masks. It was a combination of factors and the lockdowns were part of it. Although in 2021, we weren't locking down anymore. The school season is from 2020 to 2021. So it's still very significant, but it's also an argument in favor of lockdowns. So I don't know if you want to go there. (laughs) No, the argument is we live life, we get into cars and we go to school. We send kids to school because we want them to be in a social environment. Even homeschool kids have social interaction. Humans are social animals. Um, we need to interact socially for our mental health. There's no getting around that. I don't know about the flu. It could be now that we know that masks are so incredibly effective against the flu that it might be advised for a few weeks out of the year to mask up in public. We have an average of 30,000 deaths and our worst flu season was 80,000. I don't think that's crazy. If now that we know, we didn't know before, but now that we know and not to do anything seems to be irresponsible, but I don't think there's going to be a mandate for masking because I don't think there's an appetite for it. And I think it's going to be a personal. And I think that people who want to be respectful of others, like if they feel that they are sniffly or scratchy throaty, they might wear a mask in public until that goes away. If their kids are runny nosy, they might want to mask them for a little while. I think that would be, you don't want other people to spread their germs to you. Don't spread your germs to other people kind of thing. But I think that's a fair question, what you're asking. And we do, we do have to live. We can't, we can't live in a bubble. And, and we would die if we did because we need to build our immune systems and children need to build their immune systems. There's that. And there's also all the um, work that needs to be done in the world. <laughs> can't be done in isolation. So let's address some more claims. The claim that the Danish study proves that masks don't work. So remember I was talking about mistranslation, where Christians use mistranslation to try to prove their theology. This is an example of misconstruing the data. This particular study was not looking at transmission. It was looking at the protective effect to the mask wearer, but it was specifically looking at a very large protective effect. So they were trying to figure out if wearing a mask gives you a greater than 50% degree of protection. And so I'm just going to quote the study which said that it did not reduce the SARS-CoV-2 infection rate among wearers by more than 50% in a community with modest infection rates, some degree of social distancing, and uncommon general mask use. In other words, masking provided some protection, but not greater than 50%, which to me seems to me actually pretty good. And that was just to the wearer, protection of others, was not studied. Do you hear that? Do you hear how misconstruing the data can really lead you to the wrong conclusion? Okay, another claim. And are these the sources that Michal? So I only looked at her first page of sources, maybe her second, but I think only the first because I didn't know that it was available until a friend of mine sent yesterday. Okay. So I didn't have time. I didn't have time. I tried to address as much of her sources as I could, Mostly I listened to our podcast and I jotted down the claims and addressed the claims. So I think that the Danish study was in her source. And I think that the CDC study that I'm going to discuss is in her source material as well. Okay. So the CDC study showed that the majority of the people in the study who were infected wore masks. I think the number was about 70%. 
but about 4%, I think it was like 3.9 or something, uh, they, of the people who were infected never wore masks. And this is where context matters. We're talking about context before. Context changes everything. Nearly all of the subjects in the study self-reported always wearing a mask. Only 11% of the participants in the study said they never wore masks. So it stands to reason that most of those infected would be mask wearers. And for more context, about 40% of the 70% had close contact with a COVID-positive person. And this reminds me of a story out of Massachusetts. There was a county, Broward County, 74% of those infected had a small outbreak, and 74% of that small outbreak were vaccinated. And social media went crazy, but they were missing contacts. Broward County had an incredibly high vaccination rate. I don't remember the numbers, but I think it was over 90%. And, or maybe it was over 85%. It was a very high number. If most of the people in the county are vaccinated and there's going to be a small outbreak, then it, most of the people in the outbreak will be vaccinated, will be, be people who are vaccinated. It was, a, And if I remember correctly, also, I didn't write this down. This is just, I'm going by memory because this triggered my memory, what I was just saying that I think it was a very small number of people, like in the tens. All right. The claim that Sweden didn't have mask mandates and had the best result. Israel had the strictest man mask mandates and had the worst result. This is an example of just making stuff up. It's not true. In terms of COVID, here's some reporting from the Hill. Sweden has recorded more COVID-19 cases per capita than most countries so far since the start of the pandemic. Roughly 11 out of every 100 people in Sweden have been diagnosed with COVID-19, compared with 9.4 out of every 100 in the UK and 7.4 per 100 in Italy. Now listen to this. Sweden has also recorded around 145 COVID-19 deaths for every 100,000 people around three times more than Denmark, eight times more than Finland, and nearly 10 times more than Norway. And the reason this is so significant, end quote, but the reason this is so significant is that Sweden's population is dispersed very similarly to Denmark, Finland, and Norway. And those are the countries we should be comparing them to. If you compare them to the UK and Italy, the UK, the UK and Italy are far more densely populated. But that said, Sweden still had a higher per capita COVID case and death rate. In terms of the economy, the Hill reports, Sweden's economy still shrank 8.6% from April to June of last year, its largest quarterly fall in at least 40 years. By comparison, Denmark's economy shrank 7.4% during that time, Norway's 5.1%, and Finland's just 3.2%. Sweden's unemployment rate also rose from 6.6% in March 2020 to 9.5% in March 2021. Norway, Denmark, and Finland all saw unemployment rise by smaller margins, around one percentage point on average. But what about Israel? Israel? Israel had incredible success with the vaccine rollout. Cases dropped like a stone and restrictions were dropped. But then we had the Delta variant. And along with waning immunity, that caused another surge. Masks were reinstated because COVID surged. COVID did not surge because of the mask mandates. 
they, the mask mandates were put in place because COVID surged. And now third boosters have pushed COVID into retreat. The wave is receding. The COVID wave in Israel is receding. Okay, next claim. States with mask mandates fared the worst. A peer-reviewed study published by PLOS One, it's PLOS, compares states with strict mandates to states with no mandates. The study considered a high COVID rate to be more than 200 cases per 100,000. That was their baseline for high COVID. In states with no mandates, the rate was about 250 compared to states with 75% compliance, which had 109, cutting it by more than half. Comparing the number of deaths from state to state isn't accurate because if you want to compare New York State to another state, let's say, New York State was hit by COVID first. It's incredibly densely populated. And it was caught off guard, meaning by the time it reached, say, Florida, where the death toll is not anything to brag home about. It's, it's one of the highest, but it's still lower than New York. If you want to compare it to Florida, the, the death toll in, in the, by the time COVID reached Florida, they knew about COVID, they knew what to do, and, and there were even ways to treat it by that point. Still not as well as today, but physicians were starting to get a handle on what was going on. So it's not accurate to compare that. You have to compare the... What about California to California Florida? is higher than Florida. California is one of the highest. I don't have data on California, so I can't really answer for California. But I do remember, uh, I, I think she said something about New York had a higher uh, rate than Florida. Florida was much less strict, best mandates, but... You're saying they got it when they had the information already to lock down. Yeah, and it's not as densely populated as New York, which is another issue. And by that point, they already knew New York's biggest problem was the nursing homes. They already knew what New York did wrong with the nursing homes by by taking patients back in with COVID. So at that point, much more was known on how to deal with these types of situations. It'd be interesting to compare it to California that does yeah. have higher rates. Okay. California is one of the highest. There's also, again, very dense population centers in California. But I, I don't really have enough data on California to answer that. CDC studies show that mask mandates only decrease, that, that masking only decreases cases by 1%. So that goes to back to the study that I, I, I discussed earlier, where I was talking about growth rate. It's a case of mistranslation, misconstruing the data. They use the word growth rate, not case numbers. Growth rate decrease is very different. And it was the, in the study, the growth rate was within, the decrease was within the first 20 days of implementation. It decreased more over time. And that translates into large caseloads, especially as it accumulates. Okay, the claim that, oh, there's CDC study that shows that masking does not reduce the transmission of the pandemic influenza. This is missing context. The study was conducted in laboratory settings, not during a pandemic. It was about influenza, not COVID. And the conclusion was that more study was required. And now we have those studies. Okay, claim masks cause headache, headaches and too much carbon dioxide inhalation. Not true. Wearing an N95 mask for a prolonged period of time, especially for someone already with a respiratory condition, can, in rare instances, inhibit breathing. But surgical and cloth masks do not cause headaches, 
They do not cause hypoxia, which is low oxygen in the tissues. They do not cause, cause hypoxemia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, which is low oxygen in the bloodstream. And they do not cause hypercapnia, which is carbon dioxide buildup in the bloodstream. You can just fact check it. You'll find lots and lots of fact checks on this. It's, it's the made up stuff argument that I mentioned earlier. Okay, masks cause bacterial infections. There's simply no evidence. This is made up. There's no evidence that they cause fungal lung infections or bacterial pneumonia or any other kind of infection. You cannot infect yourself with your own bacteria. That said, don't you reuse disposable masks and wash cloth ones after one day of use. And one story about one mother, someone's mother-in-law getting a staph infection in her eye is, forgive me for saying this, it's anecdotal and it's statistically irrelevant. Okay, uh, masks are bad for kids. So I found an AFP fact check where they quoted the director of psychology and neuropsychology at Johns Hopkins, Jennifer Katzenstein. She said that masks are not preventing children from communicating adequately with others, I'm quoting. And many children have been quite resilient throughout the pandemic and are doing quite well. They don't lead to anxiety and stress. What leads to anxiety and stress is misinformation and uncertainty. Okay, I'm just skipping here. The AAP's O'Leary, some other psychologist, said that um, widespread mask use, they're finding the vast majority of children have adapted very quickly and we hear more complaints from adults than from kids. And the infectious disease specialist from UPMC in central Pennsylvania, Dr. John D. Goldman, says there's no evidence for any of these claims. Kids whose parents are anti-maskers pick up on their parents' rage. And kids who go along with it adapt quickly and are fine. I've seen this to be true among my own family, friends, and acquaintances. The ones who are really uptight about it, they say that their kids are having trouble. And the ones who are chilled about it are not reporting it. Jim Garrity of National Review went on a rant about masks, and he admitted that his kids were fine with it. He wrote that he's much angry about it, much angrier about it than they are. So there is just no evidence that masks cause depression, anxiety, fear, and interfere with development and all those things. Asserting something does not make it so. Kids don't know when things are not good. They are bad agents for themselves. That's part of what we try to teach them. But unfortunately, sexual abuse happens and all kinds of stuff happens. And kids take it because they are in this world as little kids, just listening to adults and listening to what they tell them to do. And that's why they go to school. And that's why they listen to us and eat dinner when we tell them to. And that's how God designed them, because otherwise, how are we supposed to get anything done around here? So they do adapt to the masks, but we won't know the developmental issues until later on when they're teenagers talking about how they don't know when people are sarcastic or when people are, are joking or if they're serious or certain things that you pick up only when you see full facial expressions and they won't know it until 5, 10, 15 years from now when they're going to be going to therapy know what kind of therapy for that. So we're, we're not asking them if they like it or not. I get it. For, they could adapt. They could also complain. We're not taking this at face value. We're looking at the grander picture here. How much do we reduce risk of COVID and how much is COVID affecting us based on a vaccinated society versus is our next generation going to be really handicapped at being able to communicate, which is one of the most important skills we need to teach them? Right now, after a year of masking, are we seeing that children are having difficulty communicating? These psychologists are saying no. They're saying that it has not, there's no evidence for this. We obviously can't possibly know the, the effects in five to 10 years, but there aren't any indicators that it's going to be an issue. Right now, we're not seeing any indicators of this. It's going to be an issue. Kids who suffer from sexual abuse, there are flags. 
they might not say anything, but there are flags because they're suffering. They're not like happy about it. I don't know if you can compare masks to sexual abuse. I think that's not really. I was giving a very extreme example to show how kids sometimes don't speak up for themselves. If you put a scratchy wool shirt on your kid, they're going to complain and they're not going to let you off the hook. They're going to complain and complain until until you take it off because you can't take it anymore. If kids are uncomfortable, they're going to let you know. They're not going to just be happy-go-lucky about it. And what about the claim that kids are playing with them? And I'm not talking about 15-year-olds necessarily, but like four-year-olds, two-year-olds, and they're, you know, their snots getting everywhere. Is it worse than not having anything? You do what you can. I, I don't see how it could be worse. Kids, kids are the worst vectors of disease. They just do gross stuff. They pick their noses. They scratch their tushies. They don't wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. Yeah, but you just get it back to can. But I'm thinking they're touching their face more because there's a barrier there than they would if there was no barrier that was obstructing. I, I don't know that's the case. I, I haven't observed it in my own kids, but there isn't a study on that and I don't have data, so I can't answer. I'm not going to, I don't want to okay. speculate. Okay, mask wearing increases the risk of COVID. A direct quote from the podcast was, studies show the most masked people catch the most COVID. And that was referencing that study where 70% of the subjects who were infected self-reported always wearing masks. And my answer then was that the majority of the participants in the study to begin with were mask wearers. So I'm just going to skip the rest of it. I more to say on that, but I'm going to skip it. So if someone says to you that there is no proof that masks save lives, now that is patently false. And the claim that the vaccinated spread COVID as much as the unvaccinated. So a CDC study showed that the unvaccinated who had a prior infection were still five times more likely to be reinfected. Another study showed that unvaccinated were 10 times more likely to require hospitalization and 10 times more likely to die. The first thing is, if you are less likely to get infected, you're going to be less likely to transmit disease because you cannot transmit an illness that you are not carrying. And it's not true that the vaccinated carry a higher viral load. They carry a similar viral load, but they shed less virus, which passes more quickly through their system. So taken all together, the transmission of COVID from the vaccinated is far lower than the unvaccinated. And the fact of the matter is that the overwhelming majority of cases today and deaths are among the unvaccinated. There's no way to get around that. A University of Oxford study showed that someone exposed to a fully vaccinated person with the Pfizer vaccine, who had a breakthrough infection would be 65% less likely to test positive. Vaccines are not 100% effective. No vaccine is. Okay, another claim. Since the vaccinated spread COVID just as much, the mask is just to make vaccinated, the unvaccinated miserable to force them to vaccinate. Where I live, there's no mandate anywhere that differentiates between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated and and you can back me up on that. We don't live too far from each other. But also, it just sounds bizarre to me to complain about a life-saving vaccine. So the government is saying, we evil villains are going to force you to take this life-saving vaccine. And the anti-vaxxers are saying, no one is going to make me take a life-saving vaccine. No, siree. Don't tread on me, sir. If people were in their right mind, they would rush to take the vaccine as soon as possible. And that would obviate the need for a mandate. There wouldn't be a need for it. Okay, but that's a direct regression. I'm going to hurry. The claim that flu is more dangerous to children than COVID. Fact. Last food season, the, the past flu season, one child died from the flu during COVID. About 700 ch- children died. And in a normal flu season, it's 100 to 200. The claim is that these were not COVID deaths. They just were children who happened to have COVID when they died. There's no evidence for this claim. Not said. Claim children are less safe after vaccine. 
they are sicker with RSV. It's true. RSV is it's a respiratory illness that causes bronchiolitis, that can cause bronchiolitis. It's true that it surged this summer. And a high percentage of kids admitted to the hospital had both COVID and RSV. But there's simply no evidence that this is due to the vaccine. We don't know yet why there's a surge of RSV. Do you believe masks are ineffective, that they don't save lives, they increase the risk of COVID, they cause physical and mental health problems? And if you believe that those pushing it know it, then you have to assume bad faith on the part of anyone who disagrees with you. That's how we get conspiracy type of conspiracy theory type of answers to then why are they pushing masks? And that's how we get made up answers like they, the nefarious they, whoever they are, can get you to take a life-saving vaccine. How dare they? But then they didn't even do that. They're still making you wear masks so that they can divide the vaccinated from the unvaccinated and they can continue to make us afraid. Can you spot the contradiction? The point was to mask so if you're vaccinated, you can loosen restrictions. But if you loosen restrictions for the vaccinated, then you try to divide Americans and make them afraid. Heads, I win. Tails, you lose. But even worse than the completely illogical argument is that there's not a shred of evidence for these claims. There's not a text or an email or a report or a recorded phone call or someone captured on video that the purpose of mask mandates is for the sinister reason of maintaining control over Americans, keeping them in fear and forcing everyone to recognize who the dirty, unwashed, vaccinated are. Let's just say that they, whoever they are doing a superhuman job of preventing thousands and maybe tens of thousands of politicians and public health experts from leaking the plot to anyone so that not even James O'Keefe can flush them out. So allow me to offer an alternative view. The mask mandates are mostly good faith attempts. And I say mostly because, yes, there are some people who are going to be driven by politics. They're good faith attempts to save lives because the science shows that they work. The general consensus among the doctors, scientists, and researchers in these fields is that they work. And frankly, it's a very small sacrifice of your personal comfort to help save lives. The same is true of the vaccine mandate. It's a good faith attempt to save lives and bring this horrific crisis under control. It has nothing to do with trying to make people mad, angry, and divide Americans. Why is there so much rage about masks on the right? I'm not on the left or the right. I identify as politically independent. So I don't have an agenda against the right. But why the rage about something that's truly not that big of a deal? Okay, yes, masks are uncomfortable. I would rather not wear one either. But really, it's a very small thing to do if it helps reduce transmission and prevent fatalities. Why the fuss? It seems so un-Jewish to me. I was raised on the concept that saving a life is like saving the world. And as we saw earlier, we wear masks to prevent a greater number of deaths from happening. And I think this goes back to the study that I mentioned, that if you talk to and listen to and read the opinions of people who agree with you, you grow more extreme over time. The people I know who are anti-mask consume a diet of very specific media, by which I mean right-wing media, which is very anti-mask and very angry about it. And they talk to each other about it and complain to each other about it. And I think that's how so much anger was stoked. And I think that this reaction to mask wearing is disproportionate. And that applies equally to vaccine refusal. The anger about being forced to take the vaccine completely eclipses any feeling about the mounting deaths. We have surpassed 780,000 deaths since COVID started in the United States. Thousands of people are still dying every week from something that is entirely preventable. How does anyone not care? This question literally keeps me up at night. We're Jews. We introduced to the world the idea that human life is sacred and that human life is paramount. 
How are we more outraged about masks and vaccine mandates than about the fact that tens of thousands of vaccinated Americans have died since the vaccine became widely available? And how did this happen that we're more upset about that than this? And yes, more than 99% of COVID deaths are among the unvaccinated. Since when are from Jews more concerned with their personal rights than their responsibility to the community? If you claim civil liberties, you're wrong on the merits. Conservatives used to understand that our liberties are not absolute. My right to swing my fist ends where your nose begins, as the saying goes. And in 1905, we had a case. I'm just going to make it really quick. I wanted to give you all the details. It was, it was called Jace Jacobson versus Mass, the state of Massachusetts. It was a Supreme Court case where he said he had the right not, there was a smallpox vaccine mandate. He said he had the right not to take the vaccine. And the Supreme Court ruled that you do not have the right to spread a virulent disease. You don't have the right to libel someone. Our liberties are not absolute. Your right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness cannot impinge on someone else's right to those same precious rights. So there is Supreme Court precedent for these kinds of mandates. I'm not talking specifically about Joe Biden's mandate that might have constitutional issues because it might be powers that are not delegated to the federal government. We're going to find out in court during my judgment. Um, but state constitutions have provisions giving governors mere police powers during a public health crisis. There are very few situations where governments can assume such powers, but a pandemic is one of them. I believe that the, the arguments from a libertarian perspective are actually not made in good faith. And what I mean by that is that the emphasis on civil liberties is selective. And Michal provided, Michali, is that her name? Provided an example of this when she said she moves to Florida for greater freedom under Governor Ron DeSantis. In Florida, she's free to choose, she's free to choose to mask or vaccinate. Which by the way, if you choose, oh, I'm not going to go into that sentence. But the fact of the matter is that other laws were passed in Florida by that very same Ron DeSantis that threatens the freedoms of its residents, including First Amendment freedoms, like a bill prohibiting social media platforms from suspending the accounts of politicians and candidates running for office. Oh, if you, unless you own a theme park, then you're exempt. And anyone can say, okay, I'm running for office, fill out the paperwork so they can spout whatever they want on social media, and then they cannot be shut down. It could be pedophilia stuff. It could be anti-Semitic Nazi stuff. This is a free speech. This has a chilling effect on speech. An anti-riot bill that could get you arrested if you're a bystander to a peaceful protest where people do violent things. The language is so broad that it interferes with the constitutional right to peaceful assembly. That's a First Amendment freedom. And a federal judge blocked this, court, blocked this bill because it's so blatantly unconstitutional. They were going to include in this bill immunity for people who drove their car into protesters who were blocking traffic, but they ended up taking it out because that was like a bit too much. But Rod DeSantis was going to sign that into law. I'm just saying. Okay. Any closing remarks? My plea to you is to investigate every claim that you see. The more it confirms your worldview, the more skeptical you should be of it. Follow Jewish tradition and pay attention to the general consensus among health professionals and scientists. Care more about saving lives than about your discomfort in wearing masks and getting vaccinated. May we all do the right thing and may Hashem end this magefa and bring Yeshua to Kali Yisrael and the whole world. Thank you so much, Dina. And thank you for me. I know she's orchestrated both Michali and you for this series. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for doing all this research and prep work. I can't imagine how many files are in your doc that you've been you know, referring to. So thank you. Thanks for sticking around until the end. Friendly reminder to keep reaching out. Please 
Keep sending feedback. I love forwarding it to our guests. I love continuing the conversation through email, through WhatsApp, through Instagram and Facebook. So keep at it. If you or anyone you know is looking to launch a podcast, please send them my way. I just have a couple of VIP podcast launch days left until the end of 2021, and I'd love to fit you in. Next episode, as promised, next week you'll be hearing from Carly Khadosh, and it's going to be all about Nida. So if you're excited about that, I am too. Keep tuning in, keep reaching out, and have a great week.